welcome to the Good Friends and a Glass of Wine podcast. On this show, we take a light-hearted approach to learning about wine amongst friends. Hope you can join us for a glass or two. It's episode three, which is the festive special coming to you just in time for Christmas and New Year's. On this show, we're tasting, you guessed it, sparkling wines. I've really been looking forward to trying tonight's selections. Before we start learning all about our wines for this week, let's take a look back at the wines we tried out in the last episode. So let's bring in our good buddy, Stephen. Stephen, how are you doing? Are you all set for the festive season ahead? Absolutely. I have a big red nose on me. I have a, <laughs> I have a lovely warm hat. I have 17 <laughs> layers because the housemates <laughs> tore down the, the, the switch for the heating. We're, we're yes. not allowed to turn on the reds. <laughs> <laughs> no heating in Ireland. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, Just it's, extra it's, jumpers. <laughs> it's all verboten. <laughs> yes, 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 absolutely. So we had two Grenache blends, a white and a red. Plus we had a bonus wine that Jackie had in place of the white that we had. So the first wine was the French Lucien Catalan Blanc and Jackie had Chateau Marie Viognier Grenache Blanc. And then we all had the red Australian Gilles d'Estate GMS. So Stephen, what were your thoughts on those? Um, the the white was lovely again. I I think I paired it up with some uh, chicken fajitas. <laughs> Uh, nice. Which, it, to be fair, it was it was really nice with the with the chicken because it was quite fresh and crisp, so it it, it suited well. The the red I uh, shared with a friend of mine who mm-hmm. um, pretends to be Smilier. He said a lot of sentences, most of which went over my head. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the one thing he said that was uh, like again, he he loved it as as a red. He thought it was really mm. tasty. Um, but the one thing that he mentioned was it's quite a it was quite a flavorful wine for how old it was. He he thought it was oh. it would only have been a year or two old for how much how oh. flavorful it was. Uh, and I said, no, that's that's actually 2017. And he's like that. There's a lot of packed in uh, flavor yeah. for 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 that wine. And I was like, that is good oh, information. That's, <laughs> yeah. that's really interesting because yeah. I would have thought, you know, if anything, he would have been going, oh, yeah, OK, the age is kind of showing on it that it's, you know, it's had time to kind of come into its own. Yeah, in a way. yeah, yeah. We were talking about there being a lot of oakiness and it being quite smoky as well. Yes. And that definitely had sort of settled down and become a lot mm. more palatable as time went on. So it was actually a lovely wine. I have to agree with with what he was saying, that it was yeah. something to, to go back to at some stage for sure. In the last two episodes, we've had a representative wine from the old world and the new world. So we could obviously continue examining wines from these different parts of the world with their different techniques and so on. However, with this episode, we're actually going to take a little bit of a different approach and we're going to have two variations of sparkling wines, which are both old world wines. We're going to be trying what might be considered the king or the queen of sparkling wines, French Champagne or Champagne, and also a Spanish Cava. The reasoning behind picking two old world wines is that although we're having wines from different countries and with different grapes, they're both made using the Champagne technique. So I'm really interested in what we find that is similar and yet different with these wines. I guess the tasting will tell. So wine number one is Duval Lirois Champagne Brut Reserve. In comparison to our first few wines we've tasted, this wine is blowing the budget out of the water. It's around 30 euros and that's just for a half bottle here in Ireland. 
Of course, there's ways to get much more cost-effective bubbles that still taste awesome. Prosecco is drunk in abundance here in Ireland, an awful lot more than champagne, for example. But I feel for the season that's in it, let's get some really gorgeous top-tier bubbles. I will tell you now, more than any of the other subjects I've read about so far, champagne is a massive topic in itself. And I gained so many nuggets of knowledge when I started reading around it that made me want to learn about this type of wine much more so than any other topics that I've come across to date. And that was quite unexpected for me because in all honesty, the dryness of champagne has never really blown me away before. It wasn't something that I've been particularly drawn to the couple of times I've had it. But there is so much that goes into producing this type of wine. Stephen, have you had champagne previously? Um, Not that I'm aware of. I know this is a common theme now of uh, without my knowledge. I, I think most of like champagne receptions have actually just been Prosecco or mm-hmm. some other yeah. form of, of sparkling wine. So I've not had yeah. the, I, I don't believe I've had the authentic Champagne. Yes. Uh, so this is a real treat, it. isn't yeah. it? A real Christmas yeah, yeah, treat yeah. for us. <laughs> this is, for the price of it, this is Santa has landed yes. in. He has, this absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So let's learn all about it. So the Champagne region is found near Paris to the east of the city. It has a colder climate than the other French wine growing regions. Champagne is usually made from a blend of vintages to ensure a consistent and high quality wine, as grape flavours can vary greatly from year to year in this region. Therefore, the most regular type of champagne you're going to come across is a non-vintage champagne, which is a mix of years and grapes. The more luxury champagnes will be made from grapes of a single harvest and they must be aged for longer. These luxury vintage champagnes will have a year on the label unlike their non-vintage counterparts. Even though our champagne in this episode represents a big leap in price, it's still a non-vintage wine. So as you can imagine, you'd be shelling out a lot more for a vintage champagne. So the grapes grown in the champagne region include Chardonnay, Pinot Noir and Pinot Meunier. Our champagne this evening is made from the first of these two grapes. Interestingly, Pinot Noir is a red wine grape, but you can use red and white grapes to create champagne as the grape skins are discarded early in the production process for champagne. And it's the grape skins that really determine the finished colour of a wine, which we know, of course, in champagne is white more often than not. But you can get your pinks and things like that as well. There are a few reasons why champagne is considered quite a high quality drink and can therefore carry such a hefty price tag. Firstly, the changeable weather conditions means the yield of grapes can be heavily impacted. As I said earlier, it's coming from a cold region, machine harvesting is not permitted in this region, only hand harvesting, which obviously makes the process heavily dependent on manual work. And finally, the champagne method, which is the name given to producing champagne, includes a long aging process. The champagne method includes two fermentation steps within the process. It follows the first fermentation step as per still wines, but the second step, which takes about eight weeks, is when sugar yeast are added to the wine, which creates alcohol and carbon dioxide, causing trapped carbonation or bubbles as a byproduct. The wine must then be aged on the lees. And that basically means that it's left for a time to age so that the texture is enhanced and the wine settles and becomes more drinkable. This part of the process can take between six months and 10 years. So that's a serious time commitment. Duval Lirois, the wine producer of our champagne, is a family-run business and has been operating since 1859. In the words of the wine producer, their champagne brut reserve draws out flavours of dark chocolate, cinnamon and roasted yellow figs, expressing its subtle melt-in-the-mouth finosity. Finosity refers to the flavour, the colour, the texture of the wine. Something also to bear in mind whilst we try this, without going too far down the rabbit hole of champagne and all that there is to know about it, is that brut means that the wine is very dry. You can have Brut Nature, which is an extremely dry champagne, 
Or on the other end of the scale, demi-sec is fully sweet, extra dry is faintly sweet. This is confusing language, I know. But from what I can see, brut is very common for champagnes. So our second wine is Barcino Belle Epoque Cava Brut. The name was really eye-catching to me when I selected our wines. The Belle Epoque, which translates as the beautiful age, is a time in French history between the Franco-Prussian War and the First World War, which was known as a time of peace and prosperity when French culture flourished. It was when the Moulin Rouge was established, for example, but also the Eiffel Tower and the Statue of Liberty, a gift from France to the US, were produced. So it's a pretty iconic era. Although I couldn't get a lot of info on the wine producer, Barcino Belle Epoque comes from the Pened or Penides region in Spain, very close to Barcelona, about 50 kilometres to the west. This is part of the larger Catalonia region. The Penides are well established for Cava, Grenache and Syrah production. Our wine is made from a mix of Maccabeo, Perelida and Zarallo grapes. These are all white grapes. The Perelida and Zarallo originated from and are especially grown in Catalonia. Maccabeo then is grown more widely in Catalonia, northeastern Spain and the Languedoc-Roussillon region in France. As mentioned previously, cava is produced using the same method as champagne. However, it does not carry the same price tag as champagne often does. This is due to several reasons, but the main ones are down to the growing conditions. The yield of the grapes from the cava producing region is much higher than the champagne region. Also, some of the methods used in the production process are less manual or time intensive than they are in France. How are you going to open your bottles of champagne? I was thinking I would take the cork out of them and drink them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but there's so Boring many answer. ways. There's so many ways in which you could take. You could use a shoe. You could, you uh, could. You could use. Are, are you going to savor them? Are you going to. You could to... also christen a ship with them and not yeah. drink them at all. <laughs> well, there'd be a little bit left in the in the neck of it. You could have that bit. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, um, no, I'm not sabring them, and I yeah. should have actually thought about this better and <laughs> purchased a sword just in yes. time for our festive special. So I'm not sure about you, but after hearing about all of the work that goes into creating these sparkling wines, I'm super excited to get to have them and to try to discern all the flavours and the characteristics that we've heard about. So we'll get started with tasting our champagne. Cheers, everyone. The bottle is, I don't know, like 1980s or maybe even earlier decades, like oh, a power family. Is, like it's a bit of a yeah. like a Dallas wanna, or... I was going to say Great Gaps be kind of... Oh, do you think that's what it is? I was thinking of like those old powerhouse families, you know, and it's like everybody's, you know, backstabbing each other. This is like the fancy champagne they would have had in their (laughs) their wine cooler. (laughs) I I think this is like this is top notch Great Gatsby party champagne. Yeah. uh, Or it's Dallas Dynasty. Dynasty. That's the one. It's Dynasty. And they would have they would have had it shown on the screen and it would have been like look how fancy we are having our champagne yeah. you know For it's breakfast. dynasty champagne it's yeah. it's quite cool that the, the the lettering on it is quite 80s or something like that it's yeah great i really like it but it smells amazing should we do our little tasting so we'll we get cracking with it i have to say i was actually reading is there different you know characteristic words so on that you would use to describe champagnes i didn't really find much around that so i'm going to kind of treat it like i would have treated our other wines that we've tasted so far and just kind of go through the steps and and see what i find you know it's a softer scent than i was expecting 
I don't know why I was like when it first had opened and obviously there's that pop and that fizz mm. that you champagne, but now it's actually I'm getting honey from that. That's what I'm smelling. How about you? Yeah, I was thinking a, 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 like a type of flower, it, like it, it mm. seems a bit more floral to me. The sweetness, absolutely. Yeah. Um, but I, I think it's like, a, like not, not necessarily a daffodil type of flower, but something akin to a, a low pollen flower. There's definitely mm. something quite like sweet and light with that I just, as well. Like uh, comparing this to a glass of Prosecco, I, I had the bad habit of taking a gulp of it, which you would mm. do with Prosecco, but there's so much flavor in just one sip. Mm, yeah, that for me is the nicest champagne that I have had to date. And I've not had that many, so that's, that's not a big accolade. Uh, <laughs> Out of the maybe is, two or three others I've yeah, had yeah. that lovely this is the second or sorry this is the nicest champagne i've had out of two because i've actually remembered that we tried champagne so my uh smelier friend went to a auction um, yeah. and it was a kind of a, like an estates auction so i think they mm. do this for wine so like people's yeah. collections or people's inheritance can be auctioned off and you can get some mm. fantastic stuff for way cheaper than kind of buying it off the shelf so shall we say um, and yeah. so he got two magnums of uh, champagne now the mm. champagne didn't have the certification with it so it was at a, an okay. even more knockdown price and the other thing is mm -hmm. you don't know what quality like how the how the wines were stored and all that kind of thing so he's two champagne he's like yeah the 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 case is rusted just don't think it was stored properly he opened it up and it was just like uh Mm. Like it was a instead of the pop, there was like a a, a bent puh out of it, and oh, he's like, okay. "Well, if it was yeah. properly stored, you'd st like even after so many years, you still yeah. get the the pop." It was pure vinegar. Oh no! <laughs> pure, pure vinegar. He tried. <laughs> he tasted one sip. Oh no, that's pure vinegar. I was like, "Let me try." Taste it. Oh yeah, oh yeah, that's vinegar. No, that's but vinegar. That's that's, that's not totally vinegar. So this is described as a, it's a brute champagne. It's a dry champagne. It's mm. not extremely dry. It's not brute nature, yeah. but I wouldn't have said actually, to me, this doesn't come across as a really dry champagne. Yes, there's a tartness to it. There is a tartness, yeah. No, I would yeah. agree with you on that. I, but I would have said if I was going to rate it, I would have said it was actually closer to the sweet end of the scale mm. rather than the brute end of the scale, the dry end of the scale. But it, there's not like that harshness. It's certainly quite soft anyway the the dry kind of it it, you know. it kind of reminds me of the dryness you get from like lemon juice yeah it's it's a dryness like at the back of the tongue lemon. when you've yeah yeah when you've now taken you've said a lemon I'm getting lemon yeah, actually yeah 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 yeah, that's, yeah lemon and honey are the two that are really yeah. sticking out so far it's really lovely and I quite happily have that on Christmas Day you know with my dinner Absolutely. or yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a really lovely champagne. So I'm delighted with that because, as I said, champagne hasn't really been had much of an appeal for me in the past when yeah. I've had it. So I yeah. prefer bringing something like of that instead of a bottle of prosecco for when you're celebrating with something or with someone. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So let's move on with our cava, our second wine of the night. I hope we all enjoy this one as much as the first one. I have to say that was a better pop. It was quite an impressive one, but yeah. for me, both of them scared the bejesus out of me. <laughs> <laughs> I was expecting them to be such a loud pop. Very nice fizz, nice bubbles again on this one. Not getting so strong a scent when I'm pouring it out. This scent for me straight away is like a lot more what I would expect from sparkling wines. Like it's more potent, whereas the other one was a little bit more subtle. This oh, is yeah. 
straight away it's a lot more potent a lot more like okay we're having our cavas or our champagnes that's your new year's eve bubbles that you would expect mm. to have ringing in the the midnight clock i can't think of the word <laughs> <laughs> oh no the What's bubbles the have gone to your brain <laughs> The countdown, you mean? That's it. Yeah, this is when I'm watching <laughs> Jules Holland Hushinani and I'm having oh, my bubbles. Yeah, absolutely. Top it is though. It's it's so yeah. fizzy. Holy yeah. god, it's so fizzy. It's so bubbly. But I find a very like boots leather aftertaste on this is I'm that's... actually getting quite a salty taste once it's gone yeah. out of the mouth. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, like a little yeah. like a salty on the middle of the tongue. That's what's left. But I'm not getting any <laughs> scent or any taste as strong as I did with honey and lemon on the yes. champagne. Yeah. Yeah, I could probably go actually sort of like a citric fruit again with that. There's there's probably a little bit of that when it hits the roof of the mouth. There's kind of like an orange or a lemon or something like that. I'm getting a slight hint of that as well with this but it's definitely not as strong as it was with the champagne where we were like very mm. set on oh yeah that's the flavor we're getting i think champagne had a lot more subtlety to it this is a party I'm wine here, uh, yeah 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 it is isn't it <laughs> yeah, 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 this yeah, is a party yeah. wine this is literally you're you're yeah. lots of people around you you're in a in the midst of something and mm. it's a real nice accompaniment to that it's way more what i would have expected from a sparkling wine but mm. the champagne i totally agree with you it's way more subtle it's mm. way more nuanced the flavors are more clearly defined, but it's probably a bit more of a kind of mature drink, if that makes sense. It's a bit more yes. like, certainly there's similarities there. They're both sparkling wines, but I am not noticing a lot of similarities around them either. The velvet feel of, I think the, the mouth feel outside of the bubbles, just the kind of the, the taste and, and kind of towards the cheek and, and the tongue is quite velvety outside of the bubbles. I think that's mm. quite, I think that's the similarity for it. I think taste wise, yeah. they have quite different profiles. I can see how they, they would have both been done through the same champagne method because you can see like they're both sparkling wines, they're both kind of quite similar color and they both have certainly got that like pop that you would get when you open up a bottle of sparkling wine so there's those little kind of similarities you're like mm. okay it's it's in the same kind of family of things but mm. yeah when you've tried them they are quite different so mm. i think one is as i said one is a lot more kind of nuanced and one is a lot more i'm here i'm ready to party let's go whereas the nuanced wine is like i might party i see how i'm doing i could be good with the book at home by the fire While we're sipping away, let's dive into our segment of the episode. On this show, we're going to focus on deciphering wine bottle labels, including the vintage. In general, New World wines may be considered a bit easier to decipher, as their labelling tends to have several key factors clearly called out. These usually include the grape varieties, the region and sub-region, a description of the wine taste and aroma, and even the food it's pairing well with. However, terms like reserve or special are not necessarily indicative of any particular standard when used on a New World wine, as these words don't have any required criteria to be met or legislation around them. This is different for Old World wine labels, where there are certain standards that permit the use of these types of terms. Using these terms can have different meaning depending on what the region is that the wine is coming from. And there's a lot of complexity in this, so I won't be able to go into great detail on it, except to say that there are some terms used in France, Spain, Italy, etc. that indicate if it's considered a high-end or a fine wine. So terms like Grand Cru or Premier Cru in France signify elite wines from specific appellations. 
Then the word reserve means something quite different between Spain and Italy, for example. In Spain, the wine must be aged for three years with six months minimum in oak barrels, but Italy has its own rules on aging them. I think we've all heard of the term fine wines. When I was researching around this area, I was interested to know what is the difference between a fine wine and a regular wine. Just wondering, how would you describe it, Stephen? For me, a fine wine is one that's quite subtle. It's quite smooth. It's not as strong like wine as if you think of wine as just a drink kind of on the average. Mm -hmm. It's quite tart. It's quite again, depending on if it's red or white. But yeah. I'm just using red as the example. But I think a kind of a average red wine is you can really taste the alcohol. You can't quite make out the subtler um, distinctions and you'll get something on on the of the tannins taste. Whereas a kind of a fine wine in that category is very smooth, very subtle, definitely something that is easier to converse with. Um, you're not kind of taken aback yeah. with it. Um, that to me how's is, is how's it going yeah that to me is um is where you get the finer things on the mm. taste side of things no you can definitely look at some labels and be like that looks like an expensive wine you don't know how mm. you don't know why sure, yeah. but you're like that seems expensive and i don't know why that's what's interesting so as far as i can see there's no clear consensus on mm. what actually a fine wine is it's basically used to describe top tier wines that are produced around quality rather than quantity. Therefore, they may command a higher price tag than wines that are produced in abundance, of course. So the aforementioned Grand Cru and Premier Cru would certainly be considered fine wines, for example, as they have to meet certain high standards. But wines by other producers that are created at a high quality, particularly wines that have been aged for a long time, can be considered fine wines too. So that's kind of going back to what you were saying mm. there about the red wines and the tannins being resolved and so on. So going back to our discussion on deciphering old world labels, one big indicator on a bottle is whether it is a vintage or a non-vintage wine. To recap, vintage basically means the year is listed and non-vintage means it's not. So here's an interesting bit of info that I found from Wine Spectator that I wanted to share. Most fine wines are vintage wines, and that's a reflection of how important vintages are. After all, vintages vary. A growing season can be cold, hot, wet or dry, and winemakers have the challenge of expressing a vineyard region style or grape despite all the curveballs that Mother Nature can throw at them. It's also one of the things that makes wine so fascinating that it's a bit of a time capsule for that year. The region and the wine producer will also play an important feature on old world wine labels, but the grapes will not usually be associated with the label as old world wine labels tend to be associated with the region and a particular style of wine in that region rather than a specific grape. Although it's a bit hard to decipher old world wine labels, perhaps the challenges it presents make it more interesting. I really feel like as I'm learning about wine more, a big part of the experience is about selecting the wine, figuring out what works with your palate or what your needs are for that particular occasion. And knowing that wines are ever changing, depending on the vintage, the people producing it, things like that. It all adds to the overall experience of enjoying that wine then. So, Sarah, for our inaugural pontifical third episode, I think we should do... <laughs> something amazing since we've been since we've gotten to the big mm. zero three episode <laughs> <laughs> i think i think you should answer you need to answer to the people you need to yes. answer a yeah. few questions 
I think that's uh, fair, Stephen. And I yeah. might actually have prepared some answers. I'm I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I think you've been waiting your whole life to be asked about wine. <laughs> you're like you're like the person in class with the hand up waiting Boys for the teacher ready to, ask. to answer. <laughs> <laughs> please, miss, please ask me. <laughs> so Sarah, can you tell us a wine based fact or factoid? Yes. And this bit of info that I'm sharing comes from a question that I've had, which was, are the grapes used in wines edible like the grapes you buy in a shop? And the answer is no. I'm going to directly read from an article by Wine Folly that tells you the differences between a table grape or a shop bought grape and a wine grape. Table grapes are fat and sassy. They are grown in a way to make them more physically appearing. They're larger seedless with thicker pulp and thinner skins to give them that ideal pop when you eat them. Whereas wine grapes are lean and mean, they are grown to produce the sweetest and most potent grapes. They are smaller, riddled with seeds, have thicker skins and higher juice content. So there you go. The grapes actually have a lot of differences about them, which I thought was quite interesting. Yeah, because there's nothing worse than going to Super Value, buying a punnet of grapes, putting mm -hmm. that into your bathtub and then try to stamp on them to get out your wine juice. Like Absolutely. And we've all been there. I mean, we've all been there. a spade a spade. <laughs> <laughs> so, Sarah, can you share a memorable occasion, uh, both good, bad and different, where wine <laughs> featured prominently? I wouldn't have even thought of a time where it wasn't an amazing experience. Am I one of the, I'm, I'm definitely a glass half full rather than yeah. you who's like, you know, the telling us your story. The glass is made of sand. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. But for me, I couldn't tell you anything other than my engagement story. And I know that's sappy, oh. but look, it is what oh. it is. It's. My husband proposed to me in a vineyard in the Yarra Valley near Melbourne in Australia, and we had gone wine tasting. So we were drinking local wines and cheeses as well that we had purchased and we were watching the sunset. Like it was breathtaking. Oh. Nothing could top that. It's oh. a simple answer, but it's it is true. Nothing could top that. <laughs> we're all getting we're all getting heartburn for how enriching that was. Like that is <laughs> that is pristine engagement story. It was. It was beautiful. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. it was. Like Hollywood, eat your heart out. I've done the real thing here. Listen, I don't need Hollywood. <laughs> I had real life for that moment. It was better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It yeah. was wonderful. You were in, so was in the moment. To be fair, that is a fantastic memory. Nobody, like, I think everybody else who answers this question is going to feel ashamed because that answer is so good. No. <laughs> There's nothing that could be topping that answer. Uh -huh. <laughs> no it was it, it is an amazing yeah. experience and like listen i love wine and i want yeah. to learn more about wine and i didn't know that much yeah. about wine in comparison at that time but yeah. i felt like that the wine was as i've said on the last episode as well the wine was merely like a flourishment mm. yes it was but it was such a nice thing to be drinking on an occasion mm. like that it really yeah. added to it so there you go superb so on to our final question. Set the scene. If you could drink your favorite glass of wine, red, white, sparkling, rosé, anywhere in the world, any time of the world, uh, with whom? Any time of the world. Any time in the Renaissance with Leonardo da Vinci yeah. in Florence. Where would that be? 
with whom and why? Yeah, I've realised from thinking around an answer to this question that it is a really hard question to answer. (laughs) It's so difficult to pick one scenario because like without a shadow of doubt, my number one choice would definitely be my loved ones. Like there's no way around it. Like I'm that wound up in celebrity that I would pick celebrity over that. And I don't think any of my guests would either. That's obviously going to be your number one. But putting that to the side, I'm going to pick a couple. And I know that's like bending a little bit, but these are people who are actually living in present with us. And the reason I'm picking them is because they're really positive, upbeat people. So the first one is Casey Neistat. He's a YouTuber from New York City. He's the original vlogger. Yeah. He, he started that. He's I think he was the first person to reach a million subscribers. He's a few accolades in the mm. YouTube space and was the first successful, not the first successful, mm. but the first uh, financially successful person recognizable. Yeah. Um, outside yeah. of music labels and all that kind of thing. So he, yeah, yeah, yeah. that, that yeah. totally makes sense because he mm. he just has such a unique, like being at the forefront of the digital mm. age yes. in, in, in that space. Totally, um, yeah. But and also, it is, yeah. like outside of that, he just comes across as a really like decent human being. Like obviously I haven't met him, but he comes across mm. great. He's a really positive, upbeat attitude towards everyone we need more of that so i would quite happily have a glass of wine with him on a rooftop in new york city somewhere where he wasn't getting mobbed by fans because he's extremely popular and then the other one the other side of the coin is somebody very current and prominent at the moment is phil rosenthal he has a show somebody feed phil on netflix and again super positive upbeat guy really into food isn't snobby about it that's how we're trying to be with this show So I think having a glass of wine with him, maybe somewhere in South America, because I'd really like to go to Peru. There's a few amazing restaurants in Peru. Maybe have some South American wine with him. Being around somebody who's very positive and upbeat and kind of gives you a bit of a lift. Yeah, absolutely. Great. So let's wrap up the festive episode. We're going to be back in January to try out two red wines when we focus on Merlot. We'll have a French Chateau Lollerie Bergerac and a Chilean Antoara. Thank you to Stephen for joining us on this episode and thank you to you for listening in. Chin chin, slancha, prost, whatever your word of choice, wishing you a fabulous festive season ahead.